0: Episode 275, The Rant, Riel Benaria, NCAA Division I men's basketball official, founder of Rule 2 Officials Camp out in Las Vegas, Nevada. Riel has a heart of gold. Right before the start of the Division I college basketball season, we chopped it up at length about his early life in upstate New York, his love of sport, his start in officiating, and his long and winding journey traveling far and wide in reffing, and also making a greater impact in the greater Las Vegas area through his camps. All that and more, my conversation with Riel, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, A state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by the revolutionary product for referees and all professionals alike. Neat tucks. What the tuck? Tuck. Traditional shirt stays have been tried and true, but never accounted for those professionals that have shorts as uniforms. What do you do when you officiate soccer or lacrosse or even basketball in the summer? Don't forget about baseball umpires, too. Enter knee tucks, which come in style and active versions. Don't get it twisted. You can even wear them at your 9 to 5, too. Listeners of The Rant can visit knee tuckscom and enter the coupon code REFEREERANT, one word, and receive 20% off your initial order. That's referee rant. One word. Happy tucking. Welcome to another edition of the rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest by way of Summerlin, Nevada, <laughs> elite basketball official, collegiate basketball on the NCA men's side. Um, Basically, generally in the Southwest, of course, also a mentor to many and also has his own camp, the Rule 2 Officials Camp out in Las Vegas, Mr. Real Benaria. How are you, my friend?
1: How are you, Ralph? Thank you very much for uh, having me on your show. I appreciate it. I appreciate Appreciate the opportunity, yeah, to uh, just talk and uh, spread the word,
0: huh? Yeah, man. I appreciate uh, your patience because I know we tried to do this and hook up in July and then I got really busy. It's it's been too crazy here. It's like weird because I ended up not refing, and I ended up just like tripling on doing all this stuff. So I just get. I need an assistant. Yeah. I need an assistant that is outsourced from Manila. So if you know anybody yeah. from Manila that can outsource and hit this work, let me know. But nonetheless, oh. welcome.
1: <laughs> yeah, we can definitely find someone from the Philippines. There's there's always someone willing to help, man, over there. They're
0: uh, they're really good over there. Nonetheless, welcome to the show, man.
1: Yes. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Appreciate it.
0: So I think we connected. Uh, listen, I wanted to say that maybe for a year's time, I'd say about two summers ago, I caught wind of rule two officials camp. And I just was kind of just watching it. I was like, all right. So clearly this is the guy behind that camp. How did you get, how'd you catch wind of referee ramp?
1: So just this past year, you know, I've been doing rule two officials camps. I, I started that and I want to say in 2016. And so this is our fourth year doing it and so I just did it to help people from Las Vegas of basketball officials get to the next level it all started when I I was overseas I lived overseas for quite some time and when I came back right I had to start all over in junior high school and junior college and work my way up back to division one, because I've been gone for so long. Mm. I'm not on any division one staff. And so when I came back, I had to go through that process and going through that process. How do you get to the next level? You got to go to camps every summer. And I was spending a grip of money to go to camps, right? You you, you know, what are camp fees, right? Anywhere from, you know, a high school camp of a hundred bucks to, you know, college camps, you know, they run, you know, $300, $400. And I was spending a lot of money because I would bring my family and, you know, kind of make it a vacation out of it. And no one was doing that here in Las Vegas. So when I got back, I decided, hey, I will do that. And so that's how uh, it all progressed that I was doing it. And then just this past year, we started to make it more like a real camp, so to speak, not just, hey, let's just invite the local people. You know, so we, you know, we put up a website, so now you can do online payments, you know, we're doing videos, we're, you know, showing what we've done in the past. And when that happened, we decided to do social media. And we have a, I have a marketing person to do that. And Referee Ramp, we started to follow each other. So that's how I found out about Referee Ramp. To make a long story (laughs) short.
0: (laughs) And listen, yeah, it's
1: quite an explanation. Yes. Well,
0: <laughs> it, it makes sense. And that you listen, you guys do really good work. Um, and I think that's very important because, you know, to me, Appreciate there's just there's a schism between the referee community because some people just look at it as an outlet to get side money. And, you know, it's kind of like mm. unbeknownst to the community in the beginning that, oh, you can really go far. And especially, you know, at the early age, yeah. when you're when you're going towards the end of your high school career and you don't really have a discernible path of going to college and playing yeah. collegiate sports this is another avenue which is kind of seldom exposed and i think that if yeah. we if we give that exposure and we think of and we we bring the young the young people into it a lot sooner i think yeah. that it it looks like a discernible avenue and path to for them to get there but i think your Absolutely. camp your camp specifically that was really awesome that it went through i know the camps in the northeast A lot of them were virtual. And of course, nationally, the the coordinators did a lot of virtual camps. But, you know, you you still had your camp and it was attached to something that, you know, you still had to wear masks. But at the very least, you still were able to give a lot of instruction on the court, which was awesome. And of course, that was because of the COVID-19 global pandemic. And having said that, how are you holding up during this whole coronavirus situation? How's your family doing? And when was the moment Mm -hmm. that you took all of this serious? Were you in the midst of a game and you found this out and and everything just went all upside down?
1: Here in March, in Las Vegas, in Nevada, uh, in March, mid-March is when everything was shut down. So mid-March, my season was already completed. I completed my postseason this past year before that. And, you know, the conference tournaments were starting and you just heard it one at a time, kind of, shut down. And so there was obviously a concern there, right? So now what's going to happen? And then when they, you know, I think everyone started doing it right around mid-March, shutting everything down. That's when you you had to take it seriously. Maybe not like that we're wearing masks and getting all that, uh, you know, getting two sets of masks, a cloth mask and then a face mask. You know, not maybe not to that point, but concerned that, you know, we're just not going to live our life normally, right? We're just not going to go out and just do things like we normally do, right? So there was a concern there. And then as my first thought is, ah, maybe this will be a couple months, right? You had mentioned previously, you and I, 60 days, right? Right. And so that's what I thought. But as things began to progress, wow, it began to get tough. Health-wise, my family is great. We've been tested twice. Uh, We do that just to you know, make sure our health is good, right? To, even if the pandemic wasn't going on, I really, I'm a believer of making sure our health is is up to par, right? Mm. Make sure we're all healthy because, you know, we want to be able to be around for our family right. as long as we can, right? I have, I have three kids. I have a four-year-old who runs the family, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> right? He gets, he always gets his way. But the four-year-old, you know, I want to, my wife and I want to be, be able to see him grow up. And so it all starts with our health, making sure we're healthy um, so that we can obviously do what we can to be around as long as we can, mm. you know, but then during the pandemic, I, I will, I'm going to be honest. I will be honest. Mentally it's tough. It got tough in May, June, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, at first it was like 60 days, right? Oh, okay. Let's, shut it down for this amount and then let's ramp it back up again. Cause that's what we heard. Right. And it's, things started to ramp up man, right? May, June, but then it's shut down again. And at that point, Hey, that light at the end of the tunnel, it isn't there anymore. So if that light isn't there at the end of the tunnel anymore, well, why are we getting up in the morning? Right. Right. We're going to get up in the morning and just have our family hang on at the house. Right. No school, So what are we doing? We're we're just watching TV, talking to each other. We can't go anywhere or we don't want to go anywhere. So mentally, it was difficult to say, hey, I'm going to get up in the morning because this is what I'm going to accomplish today. It was tough during a pandemic because what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Uh, My wife and I are self-employed. So what really made it difficult is uh, we run a nonprofit to provide youth basketball trainings and leagues for kids. And we use high school facilities here in Las Vegas. So when the school district shut down the schools, now we can't use the schools. So we've we've definitely been impacted Mm. financially that way. So uh, it got tough, you know, but you know, our kids are starting to go back to school. Even though it's distance learning, my little one actually, he goes to school. My four-year-old, he's in preschool. He goes to school every day. And my two middle schoolers are at home distance learning. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's difficult to see at times. But, you know, we're just, the, the, the light's starting to get a little brighter and hopefully things will get back to some sort of normalcy soon.
0: Huh? Yeah. And I, listen, I hope that everything is remaining on the upward tick and that it's uh, everyone stays safe, especially uh, where you yeah. are. And, and I was thinking about how, you know, New York, Initially, we got ravaged first, and it was completely crazy, and it makes sense Mm -hmm. because there's so many people that are compounded on top of each other. I think about, you know, some of the high school games that I do in the city. I mean, we're talking about at minimum 500, minimum, always. Every time, without fail, there's always a packed gym, and that's always the energy that it brings forth. I know that, you know, a place like Las Vegas, they got the trickle-down effect a little bit later, and of course, your economy especially in specifically in Las Vegas is, you know, we've yeah. got the casinos, you've got the strip. So a lot of people are self-employed, you know, yeah. what is, what is it like now? Is everything kind of coming back to normal, all the hotels and, and all the casinos?
1: Well, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but there's a few hotels on the strip that aren't open, right? But the bigger hotels are, you know, Bellagio and MGM Grand, Caesars, the Mirage just opened, Venetian wind. So they're all open, but there are still casinos that are closed. Planet Hollywood, Excalibur, Tropicana, Luxor. And so even though these things are open, it's gambling that's what's open, right? All the other amenities that surround our gambling is the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. completely shut down, right? There are no shows, right? And movies. You can only go at half capacity. So how many people now are going to go to a movie theater or even at restaurants? You know, that's half capacity. Not just the strip, but now what about all the other people that are around the surrounding communities? You know, I know bars with a lot of, there's a lot of bars with gaming at the, what they call bar tops. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. You can't sit at those places. Right. You can only bars now are only that only serve food are open. But bars that don't serve food are not open, you know, which makes it even more difficult. You know, so there's just a lot of people are are struggling here, you know, because obviously Las Vegas was built for the visitors, for tourists. And when they're not here, it's tough. Yeah. it's tough.
0: Yeah. And. You know, I, I think what's what's interesting is in comparison to New York, you have the ability yeah. to keep going outdoors. You know, once it's November, it's going to be way too cold unless yeah. everyone starts investing in all these six thousand dollar heaters, which I, I don't foresee happening. So, I find it very yeah. interesting of what's going to happen. You know, you do have roots here in New York, and we talked about that off air as, and of course, yeah. we're both Filipino American. So, I think we vibe from that, yeah. and you know. You probably found it surprising, but I don't find it too surprising that if chances are, if you're in Nevada and you're Filipino, you're in (laughs) Summerlin, like the rest of my whole family. (laughs) So I wasn't surprised about that whole connection. But you you do have a deep connection. Uh, Obviously, you have a nonprofit organization for the youth for basketball. And of course, you run your own camp. And of course, you are an official. Just talk about how you got those roots. Talk about where are you from? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school? Mm What did you play in high school? And what did you play in college?
1: I grew up in a little town in upstate New York, Schenectady, New York. A lot of people have never heard of it. So when people ask me where I'm from, I always say, have you heard of Albany, New York? And obviously the capital people have heard of that. And so, well, you know, I'm from Schenectady, which is about five miles w- west of, <laughs> of Albany. And they're like, oh, okay. And so growing up in that small town, you know, we played baseball uh, and I played basketball. I was too small and my mom being you know the Filipino mom trying to play football that wasn't gonna go she's not you know she's not gonna allow that her little baby to go play a physical sport like that so it was basketball that I grew up with I uh I went to college in New York Rochester Institute Technology and I want to pray for all those people right now in Rochester with all that protest going on over there and hopefully Uh, everyone stay safe out there. Uh, But I went to school out there, went to college. When I went to college there, I joined a fraternity. And in our fraternity, we ran, we were the organizers of all the Greek leagues, all the sports, you know. So at every college, there's murals for the students. And then at our college, because the Greek system was very strong, uh, we had our own leagues. So amongst the Greekly uh, fraternities and sororities, we played softball, football, hockey, basketball. We played all sports. And so I organized that. I organized the officials uh, and I organized, you know, when teams would play and fields and all that. And the best time I had was officiating softball with my other fraternity friends. Right. And. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly how old I am, but we were allowed to have a keg out on the baseball, (laughs) on the softball field. So that's how old I I am. So we we had beer out there, and I thought that was such a good – we're out here. We're making money. I'm I'm with my friends. I'm having a beer, officiating softball, and I thought that that was the best thing ever. And that's how I got into that. And then I want to thank my mom. And my parents, because they didn't like the cold weather, they were like, I'm fed up with it and I don't want to shovel snow anymore. And we moved out to Las Vegas. And when we did that, that was awesome. So I, I, just, I was going to university in Nevada, Las Vegas. I started in their intramural program because I wanted to do the same thing. I was like, I had such fun officiating softball. So why don't I do it here? And when I officiated softball, I did all the intramural sports. Fortunately, my direct supervisor and her supervisor, they were both high school basketball officials. And because I did so well doing intramural sports, they suggested, hey, why don't you do high school basketball? And that's where my officiating career began. So it started off with during college, you know, doing it for fun. And then once I started to do high school, my progression was extremely fast.
0: Mm. Extremely fast. So <sighs> wow, fortunate I got, and
1: blessed to be able to have that.
0: Yeah, I, I got way too many connections with you. For one, my very first <laughs> hat ever was a UNLV hat. And it was at the time when uh, Greg Anthony, Stacey and yep. Larry Johnson were oh, all on the team. Oh, man. <laughs> yep. I, I remember I had like yep. this, this, this uh, salt stain in the front and I didn't care because it uh-huh. was just like the best hat ever. Another yeah. thing I can relate yep. to you is that when I moved to Tucson, I didn't really move to Tucson, Arizona. I moved to Sahuarita. Yeah. So whenever somebody was like, oh, do you live in Phoenix? Do you live in Glendale? I was like, no. <laughs> it's kind of like saying I moved to New York, but I moved to Schenectady. I would always say that line. Yeah. Which was always interesting <laughs> that I said that. And then yeah. the other connection I have with you was the the first thing that I officiated. The second thing actually was uh, softball. Yeah. You know, they, there was beer and it wasn't fun because I never played softball. So it was always like I was uh, always confused with the strike zone. So it just yeah. it was always very confusing with me. But, you know, back uh, to you. Just with, hit the plate. <laughs> with just hit the plate. That's a strike. With, uh, with basketball, you know, yeah. when, once you got into that, what what do you think was the pivot moment that you started taking it super serious when you started thinking like, oh, I can go very far in this?
1: I can give you a date now. So I started high school in 1996, right? But I was, when I say started, you know, I signed up, right? But didn't really want to get out there just yet. So I score kept, you know, because the basketball season starts in November, right? And so high school starts. And then in January, middle school started. And so I, I score kept like November, December. And then January, when middle school started, that's when I actually put a uniform on and Went on on the court, and so I did that, and then that summer, and so I tell this too. So I run a camp, and when I run a camp, I have I look specifically for a young referee to be a driver, and to drive, you know, I get them a rental car; they get they use it throughout the camp, and their job is to pick up supervisors and you know, staff, evaluators, clinicians from the airport, take them to the airport and take them back to to the gym or the hotel, whatever you need, you drive them around. And the reason I, I specifically picked that to someone who's young and who's up and coming is because that's what I did, right? So in the summer of 96, back then, the Division One supervisors had like all came to UNLV, right? It was the Big West the West Coast Conference, Mountain West, they would come and all their staff would come. And the godfather of basketball at the time was a man by the name of John Danglis. And he was, he had it all, right? If you wanted to move up in basketball, John Danglis was the guy that you needed to meet and know because he will give you an opportunity. And so I, I met John and, you know, he gave me a car and he would say, go pick up these officials and, you know, take them to the hotel, take them to the gym, whatever they need, you know, you got to do. And because it's three, there was three conferences, it's a huge staff. So I was, I was constantly, constantly driving. And so, you know, I would pick up these officials. And so I'd always think to myself, okay, what am I going to ask them? What, you know, how do I get to know these guys? And so my, my favorite question was, oh, so what was the last basketball game that you did? And so I happened to go and pick up a man, a basketball official by the name of Charlie range. And I picked him up and I, you know, I, I, he looked familiar. Right. And so I'm driving him, and I asked him, say, so uh, Mr. Range, what was the last basketball game that you did? And he goes, Oh, the uh, Kentucky Duke game, the Christian Leitner jump shot. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I have, that's when I realized I have some big time officials that I am, picking up and bringing and you know, that's when it piqued my interest. And then maybe I can be just like these guys. And I have these, all these little stories, right. And so that's one of them being a driver and getting to, to know these guys. Another little story I have with another very big name that I, I was able to get to know, uh, by the man of Jim stupid. And he, you know, he did a, he did the championship game and I want to say, I want to say he might have been the uh, Chris Webber timeout game. I'm not quite sure, but he did a Final Four, but I think he might have been on that game. So anyway, also back in the day, I was a student at UNLV, right? You could walk into the back. After a basketball game, you could walk into the back and knock on the door of the officials' locker room, and they'll open up and they'll let me in, right? You can't do that now (laughs) with all the security and all the press passes and all that stuff that we have to go through. So I can't do that. But back then we could. And so I would knock on the door and, and you know, I would, they would recognize me because they knew me from driving. And so Jim Stupen after one of the games, I took him to, what they normally do after the game is we would go out to eat at this bar and then afterwards I'd take him to the airport. And Jim Stupin, you know, back then they would get checks at the game. And so he said, you want to see my game check today?" And when he showed me his game check, and it was uh, over $1,000, it was a comma, right? We call those comma checks.
0: Mm.
1: When I saw that comma check, I was like, oh, man, okay, that's what, this is what I want to do. Yeah. This is where I want to go. And so at that point is when I wanted to go and do that. And then the story, to answer your other question of what was it that said that I can do this? Right. If, you know, there's a difference between want. Oh, yeah, I want to do this. So let's go through the process. I had another referee buddy here from Las Vegas. And he, we were talking and he says, we got to go to camp in San Francisco. i was like, what? Why do I want to go to camp? Right. Back then, camps aren't like they are now. And so, yeah, you got to go to a camp in San Francisco. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So after some timing, it, it took some convincing. He wanted I, I went with him. And so we did go to San Francisco and. At that camp, there were three supervisors that would come, the Pac-12, the Big Sky, and the West Coast Conference. And at that camp, the Pac-12 supervisor was there. And my last name starts with B, Benaria. And so whenever I'm at a camp, I am usually the first group to go, right? Because they just, you know, say, take the top three guys, they're first to go. Take the next three, they're the second game, right? That's how they assign games at camp, right? And so I was the first group to go and I made, I had an, and the the supervisors were talking about, you know, this is what's going to get my attention, right? Cleaning up post play. Can you call, can you call plays in the post? Because obviously, you know, at the division one level, especially in the Pac-12, there's, um, there's some big guys there. And so when that, so in my first game, I had an offensive foul, made it loud, tried to be big. And the supervisor was like, who is that? And at that point, I got an invitation to go to the Pac-12, or Pac-12, Pac-10. Back then, it was the Pac-10. Got to go to their, and it got an invitation to go to their camp, their officials camp for the Pac-10, and met all those guys. And at that point, that's when I realized I can, I have the confidence to be at this level.
0: That's an amazing, those are amazing anecdotes. I wish that, you know, everyone <laughs> had those breaks, like, I'm about to change my government name to, to something, to a B. So I could get (laughs) into that that first list, but that's really awesome. And and I think that's something that goes to show. And I think that this is a recurring theme when you get to the highest levels. You have these breaks and these breaks come very often and you have to seize your opportunity when you get these. And You know, you got exposed to Division One. And to me, you know, I, I think that early on to me as well, I got hip to a lot of NBA officials that have helped me along yeah. the way in G League yep. officials. So when you listen to them and you listen to their process, you know, it's not as hard as it sounds because yes, it's a lot of work, right? You have to, there's a lot of self-reflection and inflection that you have to yeah. go through, but at the same time, you really just have to replicate other people's success and make it your own. Yeah. Um, yep. so, you know, you mentioned yep. a couple of of people that you've come along the way if you can, I would like for you to take this opportunity to discuss any other mentors that you have, who they are, oh, my what, what they've done. I know you're going to get in trouble. What they've done for your career, and how do you no, think? No, no, su- I
1: wouldn't get in trouble. We I, could be here a long
0: time about that. What, what I mean to, to say is that you're going to get in trouble if you fail to mention somebody. So, yeah, don't <laughs> that's mention them, I mean. right? But um, oh my you know, goodness, what what do you think? Who they are? What they've done for your career? Career, and how do you think they've shaped the way you've helped people after you?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, first off, I'd like to bring up a point that you you had mentioned earlier about breaks, right? And I I tell this, I I say this at camps uh, or when I do my camp, Uh, when I do our Rule 2 officials Camp. You know, I say, I don't like using the word my, I always use the word our. And when when I say our, I don't mean it as our as me and my wife who are the administrators, but our as in, we are all in this together, right? So I always like to use our. Anyway, uh, I talk about this at our, at our camp. Uh, what is luck, right? Everyone says, oh, yeah, you got lucky when I got into the Pac-10, right? Well, what is luck, right? It's when preparation meets opportunity. And if I constantly prepare for that opportunity, I know that I'll be successful right? Because you've been doing it over and over and over again so that when you get to that point, I've been here before. It's not new. There's no stress, right? Um, And I just believe that we have to constantly prepare for those opportunities. And, you know, the more work that people put in, the luckier you get, right? Because I've mentioned three instances where people say, oh, you got lucky. Well, I prepare for those times. Right. You know, mentors, my goodness. God bless John Danglis. He's the first guy that gave me my opportunity at the collegiate level. Mr. Danglis has passed on and uh, his son David Danglis now is a supervisor. And so I am extremely loyal to David Danglis, whatever Mr. Danglis wants, I will do without question because I'm loyal to the first opportunity and his dad gave me that opportunity. David Danglis is, you know, he comes to my camp every year. He's been here every year without any question. He was like, sure, I'll come, you know? So it's great to have that, to have that relationship with his, with him, especially after having that relationship with his dad. Uh, the guys that brought me along, right? So I talked about UNLV when I was doing the intramurals, BJ Burris was my, supervisor and she was a high school official. So she was extremely instrumental in my development because that's how I got my start. But she opened relationships. So she introduced me to now collegiate officials from Las Vegas who then helped me. Her immediate supervisor, a man named Jeff Wells, and uh, Jeff has done so much Uh, not only on the court, but off the court as a person. He was really instrumental in in my growth uh, as a person. And Jeff has always been there for me. Uh, You know, I remember my first camp, right? So I already mentioned that I started in middle school in January. And then that summer, I went to a camp. And I got a scholarship to go to that camp. And at that camp, John Danglis was there. And so I remember going to that. And this is my first camp, so I didn't know. You know, I I don't know a whole lot of the background and how it goes and what goes on. And so I just thought that first day I was terrible. I was horrible. Right. And so that night, I remember in my car, the whole camp is over. I'm in a parking lot. It's that night. And I am just crying. I'm just like, ah, this is terrible. Right. And I say cry because those that are passionate in what they do show emotion during difficult times. Right. So it's okay to do that. And at my camp, I see it often. I see officials who get emotional because they're trying so hard to do it right and want to do well that when they don't think that they do, it's emotional. And, you know, that's how it comes out at times. So I see that a lot. And so I don't, I always tell them the story that it reminds me of my very first camp, right? And so, again, opportunity and being prepared. So I try to do my best at that first camp and you know, I went out the next day. Oh, so I was in a parking lot, and I'm talking to Jeff Wells. So Jeff helped me through that. I talked to him. He was understanding, and he helped me through that difficult time. When at my first camp, I'm away, and I just didn't think I did well, and I want to go home. And he's like, no, stick it out, do your best, and just do your best, right? I got hired to college basketball for that camp, <laughs> which <laughs> to me is, is funny. You know? you know, that first day, I'm just so, uh oh, I'm terrible. And then I get hired. So he was extremely uh, instrumental. There's a gentleman that, uh, his name is Sam Gibson. Just, that's my guy. That's the guy that helped me be who I am as a basketball official. He was there for me. Uh, We did a lot of games on the road together. When you do a lot of games on the road, you know, you as well being a basketball official, you know, we're what, two hours one way, three hours one way. Right. And so that's a lot of time in the car to talk about yourself and get to know each other. And so Sam and I really got to know and he was extremely instrumental in helping me get to the next level. And I'll be forever grateful to that. College officials that help? uh you know, Charlie Range, David Libby. I remember going to David Libby's camp and he would just keep pulling me aside and just give me these little pep talks keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. So he was extremely, extremely instrumental. And then when I finally got to do games with those guys, that was Division I games. That was phenomenal. That was phenomenal. Personal guys, like the group of guys that are in the NBA that helped me a lot, right? JT Orr, Trey Maddox, Scott Tudarski, Casey Cutler, Rodney Mott. So those NBA guys I've gotten to be friends with off the court. um, And I'm sure I've forgotten someone, like Jesse Thompson former NBA official a long time ago uh, but also helped mentor me and mold me into the person I am I am today personal close friends that they you know have helped me Casey McClellan Division 1 referee DG Nelson I know I'm, I'm going to forget you know off the top of my head I can't get to all of them but I just appreciate all of what they've done for me and how they've they've helped me grow, Mm. you know, and you need that support system because there's going to be times where, you know, you go to a game and you screw something up, you know, you toss the coach out and, you know, maybe you shouldn't have, or, you know, the crowd comes down on you or you know that there was a a bang, bang play at the end of a ball game that may or may not have caused a team to win or lose. That may not necessarily be your wrongdoing, you know, but you just feel like, ah, if I had done this, uh, I wouldn't feel it. You know, everyone's gone through that. And so that support system of guys that you're around, that you work with, it, it helps. It absolutely helps so you can get through those situations.
0: Yeah. And that's also another recurring theme that we always hear is that everyone always has great people around them. And you can have that yeah. in, the, in this network, right? That you, you, Yeah, really are, you, you really are. You become the the summation of all of the moving parts that that really try to help you in this. And that's probably yeah. what your mission statement that was geared towards rule two officiating camp because of that type of exposure that you had and you wanted to pay that forward. So just talk about, I, I yeah. know that you started this a couple of years ago. What was the genesis of starting that? And you know, how has its aim changed in the past four years? And what do you think you've learned about yourself during that whole duration of, of running the camp?
1: There's this quote that I come to use at my camp. It's a quote by uh, Kevin Spacey. And he says that if you've had a certain amount of success in your industry, whatever that industry may be, it is your responsibility to send the elevator down. And I, I say that, I say that now and it gets me emotional, but I say that at camp and forget about it. You know, people, people, People know that I get emotional at my camp and I, you know, I shed tears and things like that because I'm appreciative of their attendance and as well as all those people that can come and the supervisors that come to support. So I, you know, I get emotional uh, when I talk about this. But uh, sending the elevator back down, I believe, is just my responsibility. I have been absolutely blessed, blessed, bro, beyond words of the opportunities that I have and to be able to do, right? So I've been able to work division one, right? And I did it at a very, I started at a very young age. I mean, shoot, everyone thought I was in my teens, you know, being Filipino, right? And in our, you know, 20s and 30s, shoot, we look like we're teenagers, <laughs> yes, right? Sir. And so yes, when I'm sir. out there, right? And so when I'm out there officiating, they're like, oh, this guy's going to referee forever because he looks so young, Right? You know? You know, I started young and I had the opportunity to apply to the NBA. I worked. Summer league for four years. I worked the '09 lockout, right? So I was able to be on an NBA floor with a lot of great athletes. I was on, I was in a preseason game with Steph during Steph Curry's rookie year, right? And Kobe Bryant was on the floor at the same time. Or I refereed uh, USA Basketball when the starting lineup was uh, Jason Kidd, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, right? To be on the floor with those guys at the same time phenomenal. And then after that, to be able to get contracts and work overseas. So starting in 2007, for seven years, I just kept getting contract after contract to go work as a basketball official overseas, uh, both as an official on the floor and the administrative side. I was the first non-Korean to work a championship basketball game, game three final in the Korean basketball league. I've worked as an administrator in the 1st pro co-league in Southeast Asia, the ASEAN Basketball League. ASEAN stands for uh, Association of Southeast Asian Nations. And so there were six teams, Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, Singapore, Thailand, and I'm missing one. There's six. Indonesia, Philippines. Philippines. Uh, There's six of them. Uh, Malaysia. Malaysia was the other one. And so I got to travel to all of those countries. Every month I told my family and I brought my family and all the times uh, everywhere I've gone, every time I've gone overseas and there's a contract and they want me to go, I always told them, you got to bring my family. And they did pay pay for my family. So we lived overseas. And then, you know, uh, once a month I gave the schedule to my wife and to my kids and said, okay, pick a, pick a country where there's a game and we'll go to there. And we took the whole family. We would go to all these, so we visited all those places. We were the first visitors in Myanmar, Myanmar being a communist country and they didn't have any visitors and they had a, uh, basketball tour. Well, a uh, Southeast Asian games, those games over there, which is, you know, Southeast Asian Olympics. So they had all types of sports. And we were the first people to go visit over there to have that experience. So I've been just absolutely blessed. And then to come back afterwards and make my journey again to go make it to Division One a second time after I had left. Right? So all these things have just have an incredible effect on me. And so that's why I get emotional that It is my responsibility to send that elevator back down. Rule two officials camp is my elevator. So I do what I can to help guys make it to the next level to maybe hopefully get a glimpse or an opportunity to be lucky, have that opportunity and, you know, to have that preparation meet that maybe they can get to the next level and a door open for them so that they can get to a place where they never thought that they could. So that's why rule 2 has gotten to be very important to me it's just basically to help others get to the next level and hopefully open a door for an opportunity for them mm. uh, and that's extremely extremely important to me
0: right so you you opened up the social media aspect of it and of course it's based in the southwest you yeah. know just for the people that are around for Miami because obviously the northeast yeah. is, is very similar and we have our own pockets of people of mentors of of coordinators If somebody from New York wanted to come there, what can they expect? Is this more of a teaching camp? Is this more of a hiring camp? What kind of camp would they expect if they if they attended Rule Two officiating?
1: The big thing, uh, the big big difference, and why we were able to have Rule Two officials camp this year is because the players that come are not high school players, right? They're adults. These guys are already college graduates who are looking to play overseas we've been fortunate enough to have, to meet uh, a fellow official. His name is Joe Dinda and uh, who's also a, uh, a basketball official from the Florida area. And he runs this combine where he brings over Euroleague coaches, coaches from Mexico. Uh, it just seems like they're all over the world. So there's opportunities for players who come to camp, Uh, looking for a contract to play overseas. And the big thing about this combine that I've partnered with is the coaches who come are, they seem to be the decision makers in getting a contract. So it's not just some guy that's going to come there and watch those scouts do come. Right. But you know, there's really a firsthand opportunity for these players to be, to talk to, to be seen and, to get firsthand knowledge over an opportunity to play overseas to get a contract. And so I think that's huge because a lot of times they are just, like you said, you mentioned the word moneymaker, where it's just, you know, Hey, come to this combine and there's going to be scouts here. And, you know, if the scouts go talk to you, well, then that's great. So it's just you guys playing, you know, not the fact that these are actually not how our combine is. is where these coaches are decision makers. That's how we were able to have our camp. I lost my train of thought. What was the question again?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying if, if somebody from the Northeast, in, in terms of oh, officially- yeah, so
1: All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we don't have adults, right? And so the big difference is uh, we use two A rules. We have a shot clock and we use the RA. So you get to come to camp. And, you know, most camps when you go to, it's it's high school rules and the play is high school basketball. So sometimes it's difficult to see above the rim play or physical bodies or big men that kind of, you, you know, you kind of gauge uh, at the collegiate level. And so that's a huge difference. And I think that's a big, big uh, draw for our camp that you have these opportunities. Um, so uh, for those that come to visit, you know, you get to apply your knowledge with, uh, with the restricted area, which is difficult and be able to do shot clock. And so that is, I think, is is extremely unique for our our camp. We do have supervisors there. Uh, We're absolutely blessed that we have minimum three people every year have gotten hired. You know, the supervisors are really good and so there's really good opportunities for officials to come, uh, have the opportunity to work at the next level. This year is different. I mean, I don't know what the hiring process can be, because obviously we don't know, you know, the type of schedule and season that we're going to have have, but the supervisors have already expressed that, you know, should, if it was all normal, there would be, we would have a big hiring this year. Mm. So um, I'm extremely pleased about that. Now, do we, the clinicians are a lot of them are hands on. They like to be out on the floor. They like to be, uh, they like to talk and communicate. Uh, we watch video during classrooms. Um, but we're not specifically a teaching camp. I mean, we, we, at, the, at the collegiate level, we want to be able to fix little things because it's those little things that are going to separate you from others, right? So we're not going to say, hey, this is you have to rotate at three-person mechanics right? And the lead, it initiates rotation. We don't necessarily teach that. But what we do teach is, you know, at the starting position at the 28 foot mark should be the trail. That's where you should start. And you should position just one or two steps towards the basket, right? So those little details is what we would, you know, we would teach. But it's not a teaching camp per se where we're going to sit down and teach you the basics of three-person mechanics, I think, that knowledge should already be, you should have that come prior to coming to our camp. So we teach little things. Uh, we give opportunities for you to get hired. And then uh, we give the opportunity to work a camp with college rules, shot clock, and RA.
0: Listen, man, next time the camp goes, I, w- I want to do all the media. I want to do like a documentary of that, if that's okay.
1: That, that would be awesome. That would be great. Love to invite you. I'd right. love to have you down there. You're already invited. You just, we'll, we'll, we'll see how we can make it work.
0: All right, cool. We'll talk about that off air. You know, mm-hmm. all, all of your time being an official, right? And of course, yeah. you've had so many mentees along the way, you know, just doing yeah. a rule two officials camp. I'm pretty sure you meet people yeah. that you're always in close contact with trying to just give advice of, of just being yeah. around the circuit. And, and of course, like, you know, people that are coming up through the ranks from going from high school yeah. to junior college to division three to two, mm-hmm. all the way to the top levels if you can list some of your successful mentees and what do you think you've learned about yourself being a a well-respected mentor?
1: I learned that I, 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 I want people to have opportunities. I want people to have the feeling that I got the first time I walked into a poly pavilion at UCLA, right? To walk in, to be on that floor, to see all the banners, I want people to have that kind of feeling about, wow, this is, you know, I mean, you watch college basketball for so long and all of a sudden you see it on TV and now you're out on the floor. You know, it may not be, you know, division one at poly pavilion, but maybe it's the state tournament, right. Or maybe it's a, a local tournament that, you know, all the high school varsity officials work. And we, again, being out in the West Coast, being in Las Vegas, right? The basketball mecca of the world. We have such great basketball to come here. And so maybe it's, you know, to uh, work a summer league game where there's, you know, the top coaches sitting on the sideline watching and your referee, you know, getting you to work that game and to do it well, right? So I, I want people to have that. And so I don't necessarily... It's not a goal of mine. Well, it is. It's a goal of mine to, to eventually do the final four, right? Everyone, that's a, a goal for a lot of officials, right? That's the pinnacle to do a final four, mm-hmm. but more so for me is to provide opportunities. I think that's what is really what I, I surprised me about myself that I just want other people to be successful at this, you know, and, and a lot of that comes from our upbringing in, in the, in the basketball world right where we're so guarded uh we don't like telling people our successes because there's jealousy or envy behind that you know i talk about it in our high school association right specifically you know people have come to my camp or again people have come to our camp and then they get hired and i have to call them because i already because you know i have a relationship with the supervisor i call them and said hey I I found out that you got hired, but how come you didn't tell me? Mm. Oh, I didn't, I I didn't want people to know. I don't want people to know why, (laughs) why are we like that? We should be happy for other people's success. We should encourage and help people to get to that next level. And we should be happy that they get there. But instead, well, I don't want people to know because I don't want them to get jobs. Why are we like that? You know, in the football community here in Las Vegas, they're not like that. They announce it, they clap, they support each other. But in the basketball community, we're just so guarded. Right. Right. And it's just not here in Vegas. You know, it's just an overall sense of that. You know, and I hear it all the time. Oh, I didn't want people to know. Why not? Why can't we be supportive of each other? And, you know, again, I say that, you know, that's one thing I've learned about me is because Wanting other people's being happy about other people's successes, because in our industry, it's it's a contradictory belief, right? We don't want people to be like that, and we shouldn't be like that. We have to be more more open, you know and uh, help each other. And even with this you know pandemic going on, right? we're all in it together. We are all together in this, and so we should help each other.
0: Yeah, listen, I agree because I mean, think about it this way: when when you were talking about you know referees, especially in the basketball community, how silent we are of our successes. Yeah, that's the reason why yeah. I made the podcast because it's like I mean, you, you could talk about how many failures you've had, and you know, this yeah. to me, I am not going to have a drive down to Pauley Pavilion with you because I am I am in the Northeast and I am on the women's side, but. This is yeah. a perfect opportunity to get to know you. And these are those conversations that you would have with a partner. So I always looked at this as an opportunity to have the pregame, the in game and the yeah. post game with other officials. And, and you're completely right. I think that might change, though. Um, I feel as though the pandemic has really forced us to all communicate in such mm-hmm. a different way that I feel like maybe things will be. Maybe that is a, a positive benefit from the pandemic that we're going to be you know, more forthcoming with the things that we're doing. Because yeah. I don't know, we, yeah. I think that human connection has kind of been lost because of all this. Now um, we do everything yeah. virtually and digitally, so I hope that's a positive yeah. engine for change. Do you have any successful mentees that you want to highlight that have gone to the highest levels that you've helped?
1: So since I've come back, I haven't. There hasn't been one that's made it to Division One level. Obviously, it, it, it takes time, right? But there's been a lot of great success stories here in Las Vegas. I don't know if I helped Lisa Bishop, but Lisa Bishop, Division One official, she uh, she's a clinician out of camp, and uh, I ask her to be part of anything that I'm trying to do to help officials. You know, whether it's locally at the high school association, I'm also the instructional chair for our high school association, mm. so that's why I'm able to speak to these officials, and they're very, very willing to help. Uh, Shante Anderson, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I helped her, but. We were, we've done high school games together and now she is West Coast Conference. She's also in the grassroots. She's also in the program. I don't know if you know her because you're on the women's side. Um, uh, who else is there? Dondre Avery, gentleman that's doing high school when I first came back and now, uh, is working his way up to division two basketball. Sean Rowe, uh, another good mentee that's, that's progressing and that I work very closely with is, uh, Victor Chu you know, was doing what, you know, middle school basketball and now he's, you know, got a full varsity schedule. So, you know, there's I haven't had someone that I've specifically helped try to get to the division one level, but I, I I see progression, right? They're going from middle school to high school, from high school to to junior college, from junior college to uh, division three, division two. So there's progression in, in, in all that and it's it's really it's really, really good to see. Now, am I a mentee for them? I mean, uh, I don't know, but I, I, you know, try to help them out as much as I can in order to get to that next level, whatever that next level would be for that official.
0: Mm. And this is just for my Mm -hmm. own personal curiosity, because I I remember how, how crazy you thought I was when I told you that I officiate 11 sports. If you could, (laughs) (laughs) if you could officiate another sport, what would it be and why?
1: Whoa my goodness, it would probably be baseball. I just really love the game. I just really love the game of baseball. And uh, so it would probably be baseball. So I am really afraid of a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. So I don't know how good I would be behind the plate. But I, I think baseball would be – that would be the other sport that, that I would do. If football's too cold. You know, that's rain, cold, I, I couldn't do football. <laughs> so I think that's what I would do.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid of a 90-mile-per-hour uh, fastball, too. I don't know why I still do <laughs> yeah, it, Yeah, but I am afraid.
1: Are <laughs> you? <I, laughs> yes, yeah. I am. But 11 sports, that's unbelievable. That's, yeah. that's a great, great passion for it and to be able to uh, help kids and teenagers, uh, in that sport. Uh, That's great. That's great to hear that you do that. That's awesome.
0: Appreciate that. Um, after everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as an administrator and, uh, people helping the high school division out being Mm -hmm. a, the creator of rules two official camp and also Mm -hmm. just being a division one basketball referee
1: listening and being coachable. Listening to what other people have to say, the ability, I've come to find out that the ability to lead is a gift. It's a great opportunity, but I'm not there to tell people what to do, right? I'm, I'm the instructional chair, but I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to try to listen to what you need to make you better and how I can accomplish that right? If you have faults in your running style, let me help you with your running style. If you have, you know, if you want to get better at three person mechanics, you know, cause you have difficulty rotating at the lead to ball side. Well, let me help you with that. Right. Being an instructional chair doesn't mean that I'm going to stand here and tell you in front of a group and tell you, this is what you do, 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 you know, I say that at our camp, right? I don't bring, division one clinicians who are at the top of their game in right to tell you what to do. They're here to help you get better, whatever that may be. So listening, I think is extremely, extremely important. And then being coachable, right? We hear this all the time about yeah, but guys, you know, you should rotate, get the ball side as soon as you can. Yeah. But we don't want to hear that. We're just, we see something that can be corrected, that can help you, and be open to that. If you don't want to take that in or you don't want to put it in your toolbox, it, toolbox that's great. Just You don't have to dismiss what people are trying to tell you because they're, we're just here to help. Um, so being coachable for myself, you know, every year as an instruction chair, I ask, people around me okay what did I do wrong what can I do better what do we need to do to reach out to more people so I think those two things are extremely extremely important and I've gotten better and better at it the more years I've been in this industry of ours
0: what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go and ultimately where do you want to go
1: my wife's goal is wanting me to go officiate in Europe. I don't know how <laughs> uh, I can do that. But uh, a final four uh, at the collegiate level. Do I still think that I have the ability to work professionally? Uh, absolutely. You know, but maybe circumstances have, that may not happen. But, you know, that's that my light at the end of the tunnel. If I can keep that light, that'll keep me going. You know, so I I think of doing it professionally, you know, making sure staying in shape because I that's happened to me in the past. Uh, All of a sudden you get a phone call out of nowhere and an opportunity comes. And so are you prepared? Are you ready for it? Uh, So that's what I, you know, that's some of the goals that I have. I don't know if I'll ever get there. Absolutely staying healthy, making sure that when that opportunity comes that I'm ready for it physically. So health. Maintaining my health, being healthy—that's, you know, that's a goal um, that I, you know, constantly work out. Just like officiating, right? We constantly work at getting better. So, um, our, my health, and then I'd love to expand our nonprofit all over the West Coast to help kids grow. Because I've been around the game of basketball, it's helped me off the court as a person with regards to. You know, the things that you learn with character, teamwork, working with others, you know, being able to listen on a basketball team, being able to be coachable on a basketball team. So I think those, those things are important to teaching to our youth. So I'd love to see our nonprofit grow uh, to as many sites as possible. And take care of the family. Take care of the family with, you know, God in mind. Goddess us first and family. I've been absolutely blessed to be able to do what I've been able to do and be able to take my family with it.
0: You know? Yep. So, And you're not done. And you're definitely not oh, done. No,
1: definitely not <laughs> done. Definitely not done. And looking forward to uh, you coming to Vegas, my man.
0: Oh, see, <laughs> that, That's what I like to hear. If yeah. you can describe the most thickest situation that you've ever had officiating a basketball game. And what is the most thickest situation that you've had thus far running your camp?
1: Well, Let's start with the camp. The most difficult part is, is putting out fires. You know, people always ask me, hey, or tell me, and they talk to me and goes, you know, oh, you can't went well. Oh, well, that's good. That's good that you see it from the outside that it went well, because behind the scenes with me and my wife, it is organized chaos, right? <laughs> you know, so it, 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 it's, it's just being able to put out fires, you know, it was difficult this year. You know, especially with okay, I have my staff all all set. This is who our our staff is going to be, and then slowly as the day comes closer, you know, with the pandemic, you know, people don't feel comfortable, and I understand that. I totally understand that, and you know, that's something that I am not going to, you know, cause conflict with. You know, um, because I've already I don't want to I've already set a schedule and I don't want to change it. Right, so it's constant putting out fires, making arrangements uh, so that everything on the outside looks smooth. So that's always my biggest thing is because people, you know, when people, officials come to camp, you know, all of a sudden on the day of the camp, something comes up with work and then they can't make it. So now you got to redo a schedule, right? You know, so there's always things to, to change and try to make things run as smoothly as possible. Uh, so that people on the outside think like, oh, wow, this is a well-run camp. Mm. <laughs> you know, as far as officiating, I work at a Division Two conference called the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference. Oh, another mentor, right? The Vern Harris, huge mentor to me. He's a supervisor and obviously Vern Harris has done, I think he's double-digit Final Fours, like 11 or something like that, mm. like a bunch of Final Fours. So he is a great supervisor to work for. He's an official's official, if you've heard that term before. Really good guy. And so, I, anyway, uh, I worked the start of the season. Uh, and I I was, you know, I'm fortunate to work with two guys who were like, one guy was definitely first year into the league, and this Division Two league. And then the other guy, my other partner was, I think it was second year, right? And so, it's really good to work in the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference because we have monitors, so we're able to use that uh, at the Division II level. And so, it's great to be able to work at it there. And so, first game out of the shoot, I'm working with a first year guy, second year guy, and we have a fight breakout in our game. And that game too, because of the fight break, I was always under. I was always the thought process that there is escalation right if we don't call this fall it's going to get more physical into the post and then it's just going to keep escalating escalating until it gets to a point where a fight is going to break out right and so there's all these maybe little instances that you could have done something differently in order to maybe stop that right but during this game i've come to realize that if i can just break out all of a sudden i mean i thought the game was going fine i mean it was a you know, one team had a 20 point lead in the first half, so things were running pretty smoothly. And then all of a sudden, the other team now makes a run, and now there's frustration in the other team, not physically. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a tie ball game, and now frustration boils over. And then now I got to grab this guy and throw him to the floor, and now a fight breaks out. Right? So uh, to be able to go. Into that instance, when a fight breaks out, we're going to use the monitor and have the confidence with a first and second year official to be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what's going to happen. What was your input? What's your input? Let's go to – and to have that process go through all of that was extremely stressful. So, you know, because you want to get the rules right and, you know, now people are watching um, because also, too – word's going to go out throughout the staff that the fight broke out and how did you guys do it? how did you guys handle it? And so fortunately we were able to handle it correctly. That was really good. You know, I put trust into my crew. Uh, and so, you know, for example, the first year guy, right. He says, Hey, on that team, two guys came off the bench. All right. And so, and they participated in the fight. And so that's an automatic ejection. Right. And so when we go to the monitor, I don't see it. We don't see it on the monitor. So we can't confirm that. And this is the first year guy. And so again, you know, this is part of listening. What did you see? He goes, I definitely knew those guys. And I, are you sure? He goes, yeah, then I'm going to trust you. And I eject, we eject those guys, but how, how good is our relationship now after that? how much confidence does he have now in in the game or me as a partner that for a first year guide, we're like, look, I'm going to trust you. We don't see it on the monitor. We can't confirm, but I trust what you're saying and we're going to go with that. You know, how much confidence does that give? And so, um, those little things that we have during a game, right. That, that's a good thing that comes out of that stressful situation. So, you know, you mentioned before, or you asked me before, you know, some of those attributes. And I, again, listening, being able to follow through with that, I thought, I think that is extremely important to, you know, guys that are younger and give them that confidence when they're officiating games. Because I've been in that situation before at the Division One level where, you know, I want to put my input, but I'm with, you know, type A personality guys and they're like, no, 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 this is what we're going to do. Like, okay. <laughs> you don't want to listen to what, I have to what I have to say. We've all been that in those situations. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm very happy of how I can give confidence to a younger official and be able to listen to them, be able to work through situations like that, especially during stressful times.
0: Conversely, what is your best moment as a basketball official? And what is your best moment running your own camp?
1: Oh, nine lockout. Probably the oh, nine lockout when I got to work that preseason or uh, just being able to go overseas and work all that over there with, and to be able to bring my family, that's uh, just as important too. It's not more, probably more important because it was with my family, right? But I, I didn't necessarily, well, I did officiate, but I mean, to be able to have the opportunities to officiate, be around the game of basketball and the administration or whoever they were in Southeast Asia to have, You know, the willingness that we want Rial to a point where, yeah, we're going to bring his family, too, because that makes him feel comfortable having to travel the world. You know, it'd be difficult if I had to do it by myself. But to have my family there, at least we were together and we could face those challenges and those things, uh, those happy times together. Mm. So that was that's big. With rule two, uh, here's a good story. There's a high school official, her name is Kimiko Leong, Uh, and she came to my camp first year, you know, she's, her name is Kimiko Leong, so you know she's, she's uh, Asian, she's Japanese, and you know this, Ralph, being Filipino, you know, in the Asian community, we just don't want conflict, right? It's difficult, we always want to be, yeah, 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 okay, all right, (laughs) you know, just, yes. Yes, submissive, you know, let's just get along, right? So conflict is, we don't want that. And so how do you teach someone with that cultural background? And this happened too when I was over in Southeast Asia with me being a supervisor. How do I teach people to be aggressive towards a 6'9 center who towers over us? You know, how do we teach you? to be aggressive. And so the second year when Kimiko was at camp, uh, she was working the uh, a championship game. And, you know, similar to other camps, last day of camps are hand assigned because, you know, we try to put the people who've had better camps into better games, into the championship games. And so she did a camp and she just went out and just refereed refereed and it again i got emotional of it because after the game i went up to her and i said hi i'm real and it is a pleasure to finally meet kimiko vial because she just went out there and just owned that game right she ran the game um she uh was in charge of that game and had exceptional credibility i mean it was just it was really really good to see and her now her progression just her confidence skyrocketed, and now she's working Division Two basketball. Wow. So to be able to see that, to see where she's from, to be part of it, I wouldn't necessarily say that I was instrumental, but to be part of that growth and development for her and to see her now where she's at, uh, that was a that's, that's why I do my camp. That's why I keep bringing the elevator down.
0: I love that. I'm going to start using that. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. Hey, a lot of the stuff that I use, all my mechanics, I, I didn't make this stuff up. All my mechanics and stuff like that. Oh, I got that from somebody
0: else. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? This, You're watching
1: the game. You say, oh yeah, yeah, I see that. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, and I'm fortunate yeah. enough to speak to the people that I steal it from. So shout yeah. out, to, uh, shout out to them. And listen, man, shout yeah. out to you. You've You've done so much. Uh, you, you mean so much to your, your com- officiating community in your area. One last question that I had for you. Basketball yeah. officiating has brought you so much. It's brought you so many yeah. friends, uh, camaraderie. Uh, it's brought you yep. a lot of money, brought you a lot of thrills on the court. Um, yep. It's kept your mental. Absolutely. It's kept your mental sharp. It's kept you physically fit. I just yeah. wanted to ask you, what is what does basketball officiating mean to you? What is it given to you in your life?
1: So have you seen that movie? Oh, man, now I forgot the name of it. Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger, Show Me the Money. What was the name of that movie?
0: Oh, um, uh, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire,
1: right? And Rod Tidwell, right? That's the receiver, and he's Mm -hmm. doing the interview, right? Okay, Ralph, you're not going to make me cry. You're not going to make me cry, Ralph. (laughs) Right? I'm getting a little emotional here.
0: uh, Um, You wouldn't be the uh, first person, and you're not going to be the last person to cry (laughs) on the show. Uh, All right. Good,
1: good, good. Uh, Good. You know, it's, man, what basketball is, I mean, it's our lives. It's our livelihood. It's what I do, right? It's who I am. And now it's, you know, it's now my kids. Uh, My oldest daughter loves scorekeeping, right? So when we have youth leagues or, when my son plays in the league, she'll, she will score keep. My son plays basketball, right? My wife is an administrator to a lot of the basketball things, our camp, you know, the websites and our social media that we run. She's in, in charge of that. You know, our little one, our four-year-old now is getting his the game of basketball. Like, you know, Ralph, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's met everything. All that we've done, all that we've been able to do is because of basketball our nonprofit is because of youth basketball. I mean, it is, it's everything to us, you know, and I don't know what we would do or what I would do if if we didn't have the game of basketball, you know, it is. Yeah. It means a lot because we've been blessed to be able to do so much because of it. Yes. Blessed to be able to do so much because of the game.
0: Yeah. It it, it means a lot to me. It's the game that I'm in love with the game that I can still further service in another capacity through officiating. And had it not been for me dribbling a basketball, I wouldn't be talking to you and have such a deep connection with somebody like you. And and that's that's amazing that um, the the ball, I mean, even on its simplistic level, you could be by yourself, you drop the ball, it comes back to you. And I I think it's just a remarkable thing that has brought me so many things. And it's, Got me be able to talk to so many different people from uh, different walks yeah. of life, including yourself. So I thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think that you're a remarkable yeah. official. I think you're doing remarkable oh, things in, thank you. In, uh, in the Las Vegas area. Any final words you want to say before we part ways?
1: I just want to thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Uh, grateful. I, I hope that for the people that are listening, that you just gained a little peace. Right, I talk about this with in our association. Right, you know, if you have your, if you're shooting a basketball, right, Ralph, right, you talk about it, right, and if you shoot it right, the ball will come back to you, right, and so how you know what's the mechanics of a of a jump shot, right, your elbow, right, l ball on your fingertips, your follow through at the basket, but your elbow, right, is at the hoop, right. Now, what if your elbow is two inches to the right? uh, How does the consistency come? Right? It's not very consistent, right? Because you're not, Mm -hmm. your follow through and your elbow is not at the hoop. Right? But if you move your elbow just two inches so that now it's the line at the hoop, how more consistent is your jump shot?
0: A lot more. Right? Mm -hmm.
1: A lot more. Right? So, not only today after this talk, but even at camp or even when we're going through life. Hey, we're just asking you to move two inches. Find two inches. Find something small that's going to make you better, and let's do that every day. And how much better will we be for each other? How about that?
0: Very true story, and we'll we'll leave it at that. Yeah, you know, man. Let's let's stay in touch, man, and, and stay stay on the phone. Absolutely for Real Benaria. Uh, Rule 2 Officials Camp. This is Ralph the Ref. This is The Ramp. We are signing out. Peace.
1: Appreciate you, Ralph. Appreciate you.